We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sarah, is John Harbaugh under the most pressure to keep the Ravens dominant in 2024? Because that's what I'm hearing that Sports Illustrated is suggesting. And meanwhile, Baltimore re-signed a glue guy, as you like to call him, to the wide receiver core. It is Nelson Aguilar, who is now locked in for another year to catch passes from Lamar Jackson. What that means for the group going forward ahead. Plus, Lamar Jackson was active on social media over the weekend, and we'll catch you up there. I'm Bobby Trossett alongside Sarah Ellison. It is Monday, February 19th, and this is your morning Ravens update from Inside the Vault, presented by one of this month's small business Patreon title sponsors, our friend Brian Mason and the folks at Mid-Atlantic Financial Group, LLC. USA Today, they suggested that Baltimore could cut cornerback Marlon Humphrey. This offseason and a post-June 1st move, which would free up a significant amount of cap space. Plus, a contrasting postseason trend that some have picked up on when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, we have all of that and more coming up. So thank you for waking up with the Morning Vault, where you get the most important Ravens news and our opinions in about 30 minutes. All right, Bobby, so uh, we've... We've talked a few times. We also asked a lot of people while we were out at uh, Radio Row in Las Vegas heading into the Super Bowl. But this is the first time I really saw a headline um, talking about the pressure that John Harbaugh might be under. Now, this is um, kind of like a Sports Illustrated. A lot of these national uh, websites have some more local guys writing for them. So this is from Sports Illustrated and a local kind of view on it. The headline um, from Nick Faria, uh, all eyes on John Harbaugh, Ravens coach under most pressure to keep team dominant in 2024. And then the sub sub headline is, uh, John Harbaugh is the winningest coach in Baltimore Ravens history, but, and then it cuts off there. Something about his legacy as an all-time coach will be on the line in 2024. So, um, if you don't mind, I actually like the way Nick kind of goes through it. I'm going to read some yeah. uh, portions of his article here. So he starts out by saying, there hasn't been a head coach in football who has won more games for the city of Baltimore than John Harbaugh. His 172 to 109 record. The fact that he's even lasted that long is like, 
not normal in the NFL, but that record is one of the best in NFL history as well, writes Nick. Despite all the success he's enjoyed in his 16 years with the organization, including a Super Bowl title in 2024, Harbaugh's true legacy has yet to be determined. Last week's AFC Championship game loss certainly muddies the, muddies the water even more. You see, despite being a Super Bowl champion head coach, Harbaugh has won just three playoff games in the last 11 games. His 9-4 postseason record. Right. My, thank you, 11 seasons. Yep. Uh, his 9-4 postseason record in his first four years as head coach has been followed by a stretch of 3-6 and six in recent years. I mean, that is quite the dichotomy, and that's, you know, a big time where the uh, complaints are, are kind of targeted with him. So Nick goes on to says, or Nick goes on to say, now most fans of organizations around the league would be lucky for this kind of dominant stretch. But in the 17-10 AFC Championship loss to the Kansas City Chiefs last week, some fans even argued that the winningest coach in team history held a 13-win group back from their ultimate goals. Things have been even more testy now that Harbaugh's highly valued defensive coordinator Mike McDonald has left to take the head coaching job in Seattle. Are some of the concerns here unfair to a coach who has done more for the city of Baltimore than any coach before him? Of course, writes Nick. As bad as he was outcoached in last week's playoff game, Harbaugh has shown he can find great assistance at every turn. He also commands total respect for the locker room, something that is impressive for a man in the same role for 16 years. There are very few coaches in league history who have had the success Harbaugh has built with the Ravens. All that being said, recent poor performances in the playoffs have rightfully called into question the kind of coaches needed to win playoff games in the modern NFL. With top coordinators changing teams every two years, having a coach who can call plays on either side of the ball is incredibly important. The more Harbaugh sees a player like future two-time NFL MVP Lamar Jackson struggle in the postseason, the more likely fans will point to his, quote, Inadequate, quote, coaching, close quote, as the reason why. Baltimore's longtime head coach may not be on the head seat per se in 2024, but the more the Ravens struggle to reach the ultimate goal with him, the louder fans will get at their need for change. So that's the end of the article there. Bobby, what's your reaction? I think the, the, the pressure question is fair or the pressure label is fair, but to sit here and think that, or say that, you know, every coach isn't under pressure. And I know that's not what the article is suggesting. He's taking a look at, at Baltimore, but like the first thing I thought of was like, all right, wait, wait a second here. Like you don't think Dallas and Mike McCarthy are under pressure. You know, you don't mm -hmm. think Nick Sirianni to kind of, um, after, after making his, bringing his team to the Super Bowl the year prior and then an early playoff exit and all the internal drama uh, over there in Philadelphia. Like, you don't think he's under pressure? They're all under – Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. you know, hasn't been good enough for him in recent years, so they're all under pressure. And there's no doubt that a lot of this is fair, and, we, and I think we've covered it over the years. But, you know, when you listen to what Dominique Foxworth had to say, when you listen to what Dan Orlovsky had to say, guys who take a look at not just, I mean, you and I, six months out of the year, we are so fully entrenched in, and it's, it's a year-round show, but like in season, we're only really watching two teams a week, play-by-play. By, play by play. It's the Ravens mm -hmm. and their opponent. And Dan and Dominique, they're paid to do it all somehow. They can't watch it all at the same time, but they're covering and they're analyzing it 
from a wide, wide lens, you know, a thousand feet up. And to hear their perspectives, which we're going to get to in just a second, really was like reaffirming to what I think you and I both believe is, is that it's not always greener on the other side, you know, and it's, and, and just because a change, um, for some is, is overdue and it's been 16 years and he's the second longest head coach in the league now behind Tomlin and, and you want some new blood and, and you feel like you have the young guns or you felt like you did, uh, in Mike McDonald doesn't mean that, that things are going to flip a switch immediately. And, and so, uh, that, that's kind of my take on it. I, I, I think it's, it's very fair. I think he'd be the first to tell you it hasn't been good enough since the Super Bowl run uh, over a decade ago now. And, and yeah, every, every year with your franchise quarterback on the deal that he is, every year that passes, that seat gets a little warmer. That, that's just the reality of, of life in the NFL when you have a talent like mm-hmm. Lamar, that's that's the face of your franchise. Remind us, let's let's get back to Dominique and Dan. Uh, it's been a minute. I mean, I remember talking to them live, but I remember both of them pushing back on this idea of Harbaugh kind of being a problem. Let's let's go back and revisit that. Should we do Dan first or or Fox? So Dan was more. Dan was pretty quick. Let's let's start okay. with Dominique because I think he, okay. he, this is a great foundational piece for the episode. I think. Remember, former Baltimore Raven. He's been with yep. ESPN for years. Played great. for Harbaugh. Played for Harbaugh. Just, I, I think he's a very level-headed analyst when it comes to his stuff. He was really good during the Lamar Jackson uh, contract saga a year ago. But, but here and again, he he's been very involved with the NFL Players Association. This guy has a pulse uh, mm-hmm. for the league and and especially for coaches. So here he is on this notion that uh, that a change is needed at the top in Baltimore. Remember the last time there was some noise around him, Lamar reeled off three. He came off the bench as a rookie and reeled off six wins in a row, I think, and then everybody got quiet. So I think (laughs) the stability matters, and it's not the NBA where there's big, long series and you decide who wins by the best game. It's single elimination, and you can have a slip-up. The most important thing that you can do is consistently be in the hunt and be in good position, and he's done that, and he's also proven that he can take a team all the way to the championship. So – if there's some argument that his message has gotten old or something like that, that's something that I can't speak to because I'm not in the locker room. But you can't really base it on results, considering how consistently successful they've been. The transitions that they've made offensively and the, the defense, we talked about how the offense has uh, a couple different punches now when it seemed like they had one before. The same is true for the defense. because They went from being the blitz-happy, man-coverage, kind of one-punch defense to now being dynamic with simulated pressures, blitzes, and cover six. It's a, it's a really complex defense that can address any um, offense that they see. So to have a coach that can manage all that and still be flexible in the draft to make decisions like it, it's hard for me to imagine they'll find a better one somewhere else. So maybe I'm just risk averse, but anybody in the fan base, I'd I'd like to understand what the specific criticism of him is. And I I mean, I'm not a like, like a Harbaugh apologist. Like I'd be willing to accept it if it were, if someone was able to present something to me that feels legitimate, but there seems to be no specific, so I cut it off there, Sarah, for a reason, because then you interjected and, and mm-hmm. spoke about what some of those those claims are, right? So so it's kind of what Nick Nick went through, which is that it's the that it that it was a really good playoff record in the first four or five years, and then it's three and six in more recent years. I think uh, it's it's over the last, you know, really eleven years since the Super Bowl where yes. people are just tired of the lack of playoff success. 
and we also went on to explain yeah. what's which has been a broken record at this point of the, the game management stuff that we've we've already discussed. So let's yeah. get your take now. Looking back at that, it's been it's been you know ten days or whatever since we had a chance Let, to catch up with them. Though let's get Dan out. Let's do Dan too, real okay. quick, since it's just a few seconds. And we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll get so to both. yeah. D- D- Dan is Dan is well. well He's a hardball guy. He'll tell you that immediately, <laughs> though. Listen to this. No, I'm, I'm such a Harbs guy. You know, everyone's so <laughs> we haven't different. had one person. It's just the it's the fan base. Every person we've talked to that's yes. not in Baltimore is like, we love Lamar. Yes. I mean, Harbaugh. They yeah. love Lamar. Too. Oh, I love. Yeah, they Harbaugh. love Lamar. But yeah, yeah. I love we Harbaugh. like him. <laughs> the way he was saying it too. Oh, I love Harbaugh. I love yeah. Harbaugh. Okay, yep. okay, good. Yeah, no, there's definitely a dichotomy between the, like national versus uh local so okay so everything that dominic had to say is true like and he's and he even admitted he's like i'm a little bit risk adverse like how do you just throw away the stability mm-hmm. how do you throw away how much the players love to to come to baltimore you know veterans all that how do you throw it like the culture like that just it is i, I mean until you're in an unstable env- environment yeah i don't know that you quite appreciate the stability that being said, I want to bring this back to the context that I think Nick is writing in. So when he, the headline is, you know, John Harbaugh under the most pressure. I didn't, after reading that, get the feeling that he's saying John Harbaugh's under the most pressure of any head coach out there, which I think you pointed out pretty well that like there's other places that's probably under more pressure than John Harbaugh. Okay. What I took it as is like, if you're looking at anybody internally in the organization of who's under the most pressure to take the next step up. I think he's pointing to Harbaugh and I actually think he's right. And the reason why I say that is because is you kind of touched on it and it was the last couple of, um, it was the last couple of lines in, in his article. He said, the more Harbaugh sees a player like two time NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson struggle in the postseason. I think that's it right there is that I think we all know. And John Harbaugh knows, um, that Lamar Jackson is a once in generational type player and now he's heading into his prime. And so now this doesn't absolve Lamar. In fact, it's kind of flipped nationally. People get more angry at Lamar than Harbaugh. And then locally, I think there's more, there's more like eyes on Harbaugh than Lamar. Not to say there's not any eyes on, on either one in both, but it just seems like it's more on Harbaugh locally. And it is, it's because he's this generational talent. And twice now, John Harbaugh has had the best record in the league. And, of course, Harbaugh is part of the reason why you have the best record, but it's also because Eric DaCosta and Ozzie Newsom, because some of his players are still around, have given him a championship-caliber roster. You have a quarterback that's generational, and um, you have the best record. And so when you go into a playoff game and you see that your team is not who it was all season long, it's hard not to look at the head coach. And then also in years past, I have felt like eyes have been on players, like super critical eyes have been on players or eyes have been super critical on offensive coordinators. But I think since John, uh, since um, Roman was let go, um, those eyes are now on John Harbaugh. So I agree that internally, I, f- I feel like John Harbaugh is probably most under pressure. Um, that being said, to your point, he's always under pressure. All players and coaches are. Yep. So, but, but I do get the sense that it's like the pressure is on John. 
And so um, I also agree with Nick at the end. He does. He says his his John Harbaugh may not be on the hot seat per se because to me the hot seat is a, a Steve Bashotti decision. Yes. And I don't know. Like, obviously, we haven't talked to him in years. He hasn't spoken, so it's really hard to know. That one year, we knew he was on the hot seat because Steve Bashotti said, yeah, I considered it. You know, but we haven't spoken to him. So it's hard for me to say, yeah, John Harbaugh's on the hot seat because I don't know where Steve Bashotti's at. But right. from my perspective, I am looking at John once we hit the postseason. This doesn't absolve Lamar or any of the players or Todd Munkin or anybody else. But to me, I'm looking at John to help his team get over the hump of 2019 and now 2023 and like get them to play like they play in the postseason like they play in the regular season. Wouldn't it be great if those those – what would they call them when Steve would meet with the media? What were the big things called? Was it an end of season press oh, conference or was it a, you know, state of the Ravens, state of the like Ravens. That. Yeah. Oh man. That, that would be music to our ears. If he started bringing that thing, no, back he, started, he, he left it in 2019 and he, it was a smart time to do it. He's like, well, when we, I, now I don't need to talk cause we had success and nobody can accuse me of trying to duck out when things are bad. <laughs> so, Wild. So he stopped yeah. it. So his last one was Lamar's rookie year. You mean? I believe so. Oh, yeah, because I can tell you every year he he did it. He hated doing it. He didn't want to do it because he doesn't like being in the media. He likes to let that be John and Eric. He likes to delegate fully and empower people. And so he doesn't like being in the media. And so he always begrudgingly did it. But he felt like he couldn't because during those after the Super Bowl years, he felt like they would be like, wait, I'm ducking out when things are bad. And he's like, I, I needed to face the music then. Mm. But then doing it after they're successful, then it's like, okay, well, now you know it really is just I don't want I just, just don't like doing it. He's like the opposite of Jerry Jones. Literally, who has like a <laughs> weekly radio show. The guy's got a weekly radio <laughs> yeah. show and every single post game. He's got his own media scrum post game, which is wild. Right. So I guess really the only time you'll hear from him in that kind of setting is at the annual owners meetings, but it's not always guaranteed there either like i remember the, the last time that we really heard from him i think if i'm not mistaken was when jeff and some of the other beat writers were down in florida last year and they were talking to him about lamar's contract mm -hmm. right i mean i think i think that yeah. was the last time that like reporters actually had a chance to to catch up with him one-on-one -on, -one on the record yeah so so anyway speaking of lamar though like you said in the intro He's been active on Twitter a little bit this offseason so far. A guy named Zion, at 8 to Zay on Twitter, X, tweeted at him saying, Lamar, we're winning the bowl next year, bro. And Lamar <laughs> said, that's been the goal since 2018. Just let us in there already with a bunch of agony emojis. We love the NFL. The offseason is boring without that bowl. Look at me here tweeting instead of telling my teammates. The feeling <laughs> is unreal. Face palm, shaking his head emoji. and. That just led me to think that, hey, the, the loss hurts. You don't just get over it in a few weeks, right? No. Like this is, this is difficult. And I will say, I think I can say this, I had a chance to catch up with who we hope is our next guest, Ravens offensive coordinator Todd Munkin over the weekend, Sarah. We're hoping to catch up with him this week. And I was just kind of fleshing out schedule and stuff. He's still reeling too. There's no doubt in my mind after chatting yeah. with him. And it just makes me think, like, you think it's tough as a fan to, to get over it? No doubt. Absolutely yeah. it is. I'm not questioning that whatsoever. Matt, <laughs> multiply that by 15,000. Like, right. I can only imagine what they're dealing with right now. And so hopefully we're going to have a chance to catch up with Todd uh, at some point this week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I, I can't wait for that. Good for you being in touch with him. Uh, yeah, no, I, I watched on the NFL Twitter account put out some of the top plays from Lamar Jackson's MVP, second MVP season. And I'm watching that and I'm just, I'm just freaking in awe, Bobby. I'm like, how do you have this many Superman plays yeah. in one season? Right. Was the and Jacksonville then, game in there when he spun yeah, out? Yeah, that was, was in unreal. there. <laughs> I mean, all of them, all of them that you can think of. And some that I even like, I'm like, how did I forget that? And it's all, oh, oh, because he makes it seem like it's normal, you know? And yes. so like, you're sitting there enjoying it and you're loving it and da, 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 da. And then you get all the way to the Kansas city game. And then it's like, oh. Oh, yep. where was, and so I, and I put out the question on Twitter. I'm like, when you watch this, are you just smiling with glee or are you sick that you didn't end up with the championship? And for me, it's both. And so I'm just yeah. saying that because you like you said, like, um, like I'm a move on type person. I always move on and that's what I've done. Yep. And yet at the same time, when you're reminded of it, you are, you're a little bit sick by it. So I can only imagine Lamar or Todd Munkin or Harbaugh or any of the other people inside the building. It's still early in the grieving process, they say, yeah. right? Um, yeah. This is the first Sunday as we record this on the 18th. This is the first Sunday without football for a long time, NFL football. So just uh, brace yourself and, and get ready for what I'm sure will be a busy offseason, combine free agency in the draft uh, still to come here in the coming months. Okay, so in full transparency, we went to record this around 4 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. It's offseason. We're trying to spend... Sundays with our family and whatnot, at least around dinner time. And then, of course, once we finished, maybe two hours after, the Nelly news drops. Nelson Aguilar right. is now a Baltimore Raven for year two. He's been re-signed. The first free agent domino, if you will, has fallen, Sarah. And so here he is. He's been signed to a one-year contract extension. And like you mentioned at the top, I, I love referring to him as a glue guy because I think that's exactly what he was this past season in Baltimore. He was reliable. Uh, he was a leader in the locker room. He was, a, I think, a source of experience. And I think that this is well-deserved. When you look at the veteran type of team-friendly, short-term kind of wide receiver deals that have been signed over the years throughout the Lamar era, I think you can make a legitimate argument that nobody's been more impactful than Nelly was in year one. And so I'm excited to have him back. Again, he's he's not your your wide receiver one. He's not a wide receiver two. Uh, but I would I would definitely say that that he is just as important as anybody is in that locker room from a wide receiver standpoint for the, some of the you know the traits that I just mentioned. So uh, it's deserving. And I think uh this this bolsters the room. You know, this this 
this adds that depth layer that championship teams need. Yeah. So right now he's currently slated as like wide receiver three, but in reality, when we're talking about like, you know, who's targeted the most and who gets the most yardage, it's really like he's a wide receiver five, right? Because, or yeah, yeah, because we, we already know that Rashad Bateman's going to start with Zay Flowers, that the the Ravens brass said as much. Um, and then Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, you would think that they would be like three and four in terms of pass catching. You know what I mean? In, in terms of yardage. So um, that puts around four. And so the Ravens now have under contract six of Lamar Jackson's top seven pass catchers from last season. So when we're talking about the Ravens are trying to like run this back, <laughs> I mean – they're trying to run this back with their foundation and now uh, some, you know, some of these glue, this glue guy here. So the only person of those seven pass catchers that are not uh, is not under contract is Odell Beckham Jr., who I suspect is want to go is going to want to go out to the market and just weigh all of his options again, like he did last year. And it might be later in the offseason that he gets signed. But Bobby, what a difference a year makes because when the Ravens signed Nelson, they signed him out of the gate in free agency. Not not like right out of the gate, but was one of their earlier moves and people were down about it, uh, wanting a bigger move. Well, now a year later, now that you know, you have Zay and that, that Isaiah has, has, you know, broken out in, in a much bigger way than he had the year before. And then after seeing that Nelson Aguilar, I mean, listen, it was a great deal. He, he got paid 3.25 million. He had about 380 receiving yards and four touchdowns. I'd say that that is all in line, right? We don't know how much this uh, contract is going f going for 2024 yet. That news has not, as of this recording, that news has not been released. But if we're in the same ballpark, uh, that's great. That's great. Now, that being said, there's not a lot of work to do in the pass catching department. But if it were me, and I'm, I know we're going to have episodes where we go deeper into this, Bobby, to me, I would still sign one more free agent and draft one more wide receiver. Because you already have, you're going to have Tylen Wallace kind of in the back end. Maybe you think of Laquan Treadwell kind of in the back end. Um, but I think that if you were to add um, a day one or two wide receiver and one more free agent, and we'll have our picks for who that could be, uh, then then I feel like you're you're getting somewhere. But this is a nice, solid, solid start uh, to have all these guys in the room already. More the merrier. More the merrier. Keep it coming. You know Keep the type of body I want in there for 2024. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I thought you outlined it well here on the screen. Like, you know, to have that kind of talent that's under contract from a pass catching standpoint, you know, Zay, Mark, Isaiah, Nelly, and Rashad, good foundational pieces there. And, and now they're going to have to continue building. So, uh, good stuff. Topic two is about Marlon Humphrey. USA Today suggested, as we mentioned in the intro, that the Ravens could or should cut their cornerback this offseason in what would be a post-June 1st move with potential cap space in mind. Uh, that move, cutting him, would save $11.75 in cap space. So question becomes, one, well, where would it be? Matthew Judon thinks that where would he end up if that were the case? Matthew Judon doing his best recruitment. Hopefully, by the way, Sarah, for everybody, for Marlon's sake, and for our sake, since I think he's still a lockdown corner, wasn't good enough or available enough a year ago. But but prior to that, we all know what he can be, what his ceiling is. Uh, let's hope that Matthew Judon is just a, 
as poor of a free agency recruiter yeah. as Marlon Humphrey has proven to be. His track record is not great in that department. Well, Marlon Humphrey is not a free agent, so he can't he can't be doing it. But Rude. I think I'm glad that you brought Matthew Judon in here, though, where he's like, "Oh, I like this move because I think Patriots 44 is open." <laughs> and it's like when you have other players being like, "Yeah, guys, do the dumb move." Okay, make that dumb move so that I can have him. I think that tells you everything that you need to know when other players are like, I mean, Marlon Humphrey's 27 years old. Yep. And so, uh, yes, he had a down year. Yes, he had that that um, that surgery that he had to have. But And this is what's funny. Every time somebody just puts out, it's, it's kind of um, misleading. It's like, Yes, it's true that if you did a post June one cut, you would save eleven point seven five million. And so it's like, okay, well, that sounds great. But like, you have to also point out that there would be eleven point two million in dead money this year, but then even more next year. It'd be almost thirteen million in dead money. So between yeah. cutting Marlon Humphrey and and you know a you know decent number of people saying cut Ronnie Stanley doing post June one between the two of them you already just put twenty million of dead money on the twenty twenty five cap like what are we doing here and by the way Marlon Humphrey is still a phenomenal player which was the point of bringing in Matthew Judon saying let's go so no no there we there's there's no cutting Marlon Humphrey at twenty seven um, and uh, this is just one of those things that it's like. There's other ways to make money to, or to create money, guys. There's other ways that's not going to like hurt your team. And by the way, we want good players. We're still in this. I mean, I know Eric Takasa doesn't believe in windows, but we're still with a phenomenal foundation. When you add Marlon with Roquan, with with Hamilton, with Lamar, with Mark Andrews, and like just you just keep going on and on, like. We're still trying here. What we need to do is augment Mar Marlon and not take him away and then try to replace him and then still augment. Like, let's augment this, the, the foundation that we have and not put $23 million of dead money on the cap between, next year and ne between this year and next year. These folks are trying to put EDC in cap hell, I guess, with this with this scenario. Maybe he's a potential restructure. Who knows? That could, that could potentially. I, I mean, yeah, the, like kind of last resort type thing for sure. But they've restructured him a few times. So, but yes, you could get a restructure there. But again, you're just kicking money down the road, and there's yep. better places to get money. Yep. Okay. This trend. This 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 Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, I don't know if it's a trend or more so a comparison when it comes to ball security, right? What did you find on this? Okay, so um, let me – sorry, pull this up here. So Jonah Schaefer pointed this out. He, he tweeted uh, – I think this was last week. Uh, one big difference between playoff Lamar and playoff Mahomes, how their ball security changes. More on the – okay, and so he links to his, his article, but here are the two main uh, graphics. So Baltimore banner, by the way, you can find this. In yes. Full. Baltimore banner. You can go find his whole article on it, but he posted two charts and the first one is Lamar Jackson's turnover worthy play rate. And his source is PFF. So in 2018, his rookie year was the only year that like his, his turnover worthy play rate um, went down, which is a good thing. So during the season, Lamar went from 4.6% to 2.4%. But then the last three times he's been to the playoffs, it's gone in the opposite direction. Mm. So playoff, so turnovers in 2019, 1.9%. Then it goes more than double to 4.1% in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Okay, then you go to 2020. 
It was 3.6% in the regular season, jumps up by more than percentage to 4.8%. And then we saw it in the playoffs. Um, this last year, it went from 2.5%. And remember, there were some early turnovers, right, with all those fumbling? Yes. Fumbles. And then he, and it especially with Justice Hill, they figured that out. Get the mesh so point. Yep. yep. Lonnie issues there, protection-wise. Yep. 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 But they seemed to figure it out and then got really clean to 2.5% for the regular season. And then it just shot back up mm. by more than double again to 5.3%. Yeah. So, yep. listen, we just did a whole segment on John Harbaugh being under pressure. And I agree. I agree that he's under pressure. And then, but then you got to look towards everybody and everybody's got to see where can I be better? Be safe with the ball. Like that's, I mean, yeah. we all say it every, like what's the keys, the keys to the game, no turnovers. So then Jonas points out Patrick Mahomes turnover worthy play, right? Okay. In 2019, his, that year for him was the only year that his turnover worthy play rate went up. Okay. But then he figured it out. Then in 2020 goes from 3.2 to 0.7. In 2020, then 2021, 2.8 to down, cuts it in half to 1.3. Then in 2022, 2.3 cuts it well more in half again to 0.9%. And then we just saw it because we played them. 2023 goes from basically 3% to a half percent in the playoffs. Folks, yes, let's fix the game plan. Also, let's be more careful than even usual during the playoffs. Instead of trying to like, Win it all in one play, take it, take what you can get, and then just keep plugging away. Holy moly, from two per, from 3% to half a percent in the playoffs? That's a nice trend. He's a freak. The He's guy freak. is as good as it gets. That is as, that is as close as you can possibly get to mistake-free football. And in that's what they play. Yep. When, when it comes to turn when it comes to protecting the football. And and that's these numbers are these are glaring numbers, right? Like these yeah. are these are tough to see, but it is more than you have to provide the con- and of course you got to provide the context, right? There's, yeah. there's no doubt the, the Ronnie Stanley beating, yep. letting his guy get beat for sure. Yeah, yep. or- and then like you said earlier on in the season with the mesh point and things yep. of that nature, it's yep. a team. It's a team game, but bottom line is the great ones figure out when to clean it up and. And we we both feel that Lamar can be great, is great, and will be great in the playoffs. Lamar's going to win a Super Bowl. We both believe that. Yes. We both believe that. Yeah. All right, let's get on to another slide Warren Sharp put together here on X at Sharp Football, and it counts. This guy, he digs into the numbers, man. This is crazy. (laughs) Total offensive penalty yardage by player. So offensive penalty yardage by player. So he's what, got a gazillion, he's got a gazillion players here, right? <laughs> but he puts the number one player first, Juwan Taylor over in Casey. All right. Then at the next at 115 penalty yardage. Then the next two in a row. Oh, oh, gut punch. Again, this is the context you're talking about, right? Number two is John Simpson with 96 penalty yardage. And then Ronnie Stanley. Who was rotating a lot, by the way? And again, we just did a whole episode of how injured he was and all that, but it's got to get it's got to get better. 90, 90 penalty right yardage back to back. back to back on your left side for your blind side of your quarterback. Come so on, just guys! For the audio only, folks. Just so we're clear here, the second and third mm-hmm. most penalty yardages mm-hmm. are, are Ravens offensive linemen by player on the left side, <laughs> league wide on the right left side, right next to each other. Yes. I'm glad you followed the 
like the previous slide up with this because this yes. is the context that you need in a sense. It doesn't yeah. necessarily tell the whole story, but it was. It but was remember, Jawan Taylor was Kansas City, so that's context too, and he's number one. Jawan Taylor was Kansas City. Yeah. You can overcome it, right? Like you can overcome it. And by the way, Lamar is on is on this list. You got to go all the way down to fifty eight. Yeah. So fifty eight of his, and and again, that's there's there's context needed there. Travis Kelsey's on this list at seventy. Yeah. So you know, but perhaps perhaps they're looking at one retooling at left tackle, like we covered last week during the Ronnie episode uh, in the draft. Not to say that he's going to be the not going to be the starter week one, but maybe you look at some depth there for the future in the draft, and then maybe you look to, I don't know who could be the starting left guard. We'll have to see. I mean, McCarry is going to be an option. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of Ben Cleveland's going to be an option. Andrew Voorhees is hopefully coming off his redshirt year with that that torn ACL. Uh, he'll be a second year player. So anyway, all all things to discuss later on down the road. It's just always nice to keep an eye on other AFC North teams. So this is the last little report I pulled out. And uh, you put this in the category of, well, well, some people's troubles are worse than ours. So a report coming out of uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, quote, internal division, okay, close quote, over whether Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph should start for the Steelers. Here's the kicker. There's internal, internal division, but Rudolph isn't even under contract. So they got to figure out if they want to go re-sign him. So and and it's crazy because Kenny Pickett, he was the one that was uh, they drafted to be the next guy after Ben Roethlisberger. And here we are, two years later, being like they're wondering if their you know top pick from that year is their quarterback of the future. So uh, they got things to figure out in Pittsburgh. That's for sure. Sounds to me like a training camp competition's coming up this summer. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. To I have think a feeling too. I have a feeling they'll re-sign Rudolph though, right? Like, why wouldn't Rudolph want to come back? Where else is he gonna for sure compete for the starting job? Um yeah. unless they just get somebody else that's like, I don't know, a big name, but yeah, they got they gotta figure out their quarterback position. Right. Um yeah, and and then just about a, under a week ago. Just while we're talking Pittsburgh quarterbacks, they released Mitch Trubisky, who the Ravens saw a little bit while he was there. So he is no longer mm-hmm. in the fold. We'll see if his NFL career is over. Or maybe it lands on a practice squad or whatever because he just wasn't was not good enough there in Pittsburgh. Shout out to a couple of our OG patrons who are supporting everything we're building this month here inside the channel through Patreon. Uh, Lauren Wonderlick and Ken Buckner, thank you both. We appreciate you. And shout out. Uh, shout out Lauren, shout out Ken. So yeah, busy week, hopefully. Not quite as busy as we've once been, but it's good to be retooling and doing a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. Still building my at-home studio in my new place. Hopefully have my new Maryland flag behind me before the week's over. So it's exciting times, partner. Yeah, I know we're both, uh, hey, it's the off season, so we're both working on our at-home studios, getting getting closer and closer to sounding and looking more and more professional. So. I like your new camera, though. We got to work on lighting, but look at that, kid. Look how clear you are. Look at that. Look at those blue eyes. There we go. <laughs> the Sony. We both. CX. We both have the blue eyes. Yes, we yeah. do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Mine just haven't been able to see through the webcam. You know, yeah. you haven't been able to see them, so they're going to be rolling now. Well, we're seeing them now. Let's go. So I got my new ring light, and but yeah, got got some lighting stuff to figure out with the setting yeah. side of uh, of the camera, and uh, 
yeah, this is just the time of year to do it. So yep. we're, we're super excited about it, investing in things and, and just continuing to kind of build layer, layer by layer. So a uh, special thanks to this episode's Patreon small business title sponsor, Bryant Mason, like we mentioned at the top, uh, his folks at Mid-Atlantic Financial Group, LLC. You can find more on them in the show notes below. So for my co-host and partner, Sarah Ellison, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this Monday morning vault edition. Be on the lookout for announcements on when hopefully you'll be hearing from Todd and we will of course have a Tuesday morning vault coming up for you in just a bit.